Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis and all the big talking points in world football. With me today, as always, is our transfer soothsayer, prophet, guru, whatever you want to call him, Duncan Castles. Today, of course, is your questions answered. But as always, before that, we're going to bring you some updates and news, all the latest that's happening in the transfer window. Now, Duncan, there's been a lot of talk, of course, this summer about Wilfred Zaha leaving Crystal Palace to go to Arsenal. We have talked a lot on the podcast about Arsenal having troubles financially in terms of doing deals. Surprisingly, there is another suitor. Tell us more. Yes, Zaha has made it clear that he wants to leave Crystal Palace and uh, take a a step up in his career. Um, He's keen on the move to Arsenal, but as you say, Arsenal have not been able to put together a financial deal that uh, meets Crystal Palace's asking price, which I understand is around £80 million. Palace obviously have already taken a lot of money in this summer, having done the deal um, for Aaron Wan-Bissaka to go to Manchester United, which is worth up to £55 million of transfer fee to them. So they're in a a, a strong negotiating position. Um, What I uh, have been told is that Everton have have come in for Zaha, um, quite surprisingly, I think, um, in that uh, that category of transfer fee it is extremely substantial, but the information I'm getting from um, the Everton end is that they do want to um, try and do a, a very top-level uh, forward addition in this window. Um, they have inquired about Nicolo Pepe at um, Lille, um, which tells you the scale of ambition there because Lille have made it clear that um, they expect Pepe to uh, achieve at least 80 million euros of transfer fee for them and have um, top Champions League clubs interested in the player and also um, strong interest for Manchester United. Um, Malcolm at Barcelona is another uh, player that Everton have inquired about. Um, Again, would not come cheap. Um, Barcelona are open to selling the player. Would not be as expensive as 80 million euros, but... um, then uh, not ranked as high a level as Pepe is at present. And uh, the information I'm getting from Everton is that they do have um, the financial resource um, to do this and to try and secure a player like Zaha. Um, I'm also told that there is an interest from Zaha's end in going to Everton. Um, he sees that as a, uh, as a club that would be an upgrade on Crystal Palace. If he's being brought into Everton, it would be as the star name uh, to be the kind of central figure in their attack, which is something that would appeal to him. Um, and what's clear is that this is going to complicate matters for Arsenal. Um, if, they're, if they're struggling to raise uh, the transfer fee and, and have been proposing loan deals, um, going to Crystal Palace to make up part of the transfer fee or allowing Palace the choice of some of the players that they don't want to retain in their squad. Um, Carl Jenkinson is a, is a name that's been mentioned repeatedly who is um, available for sale by Arsenal and, uh, and could be used by Crystal Palace to um, fill the gap left by Juan Bissaka if they chose to go down that line. 
Um, but if uh, if Everton are are serious in this and can actually put down on the table a transfer fee um, that is enough to satisfy Crystal Palace, then I think uh, that will be the end of Arsenal's um, uh, realistic chances of securing the player because I don't think Arsenal are going to be able to get to um, to the £80 million. Um, it doesn't even look like they're going to be able to get close to the £80 million that, um, that Palace are asking for uh, the player. Two questions on this, Duncan, I suppose, which are kind of obvious and need to be answered. <clears throat> the first is, uh, we all know that Wilf Zaha went to Manchester United, uh, didn't settle in the North West, made, I think, only five appearances under Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, <clears throat> having completed a transfer which was worth £15 million then, returned a little bit with his tail between his legs, back to um, Sellers Park. Uh, and so the first is, what's changed um, in terms of the player, uh, if he decides he wants to go back to the North West and, and live in the outskirts of Liverpool and play for Everton? That's what the second one is. Um, in the... Um, Initial interest from Arsenal. His brother was quoted as saying he's an Arsenal fan, he wants to play for Arsenal and he wants to play European football. So, uh, does the Everton bid satisfy, or indeed, well, can it satisfy? Uh, I'll answer both of those questions. Well, he certainly, if he wants to play for Arsenal, joining Everton is not going to allow him to do that. Um, that one's easy to answer. He's certainly not going to get European football playing for Everton this season. Um, so it would have to be a calculation that he could be part of um, turning that Everton squad under Marco Silva into a club that can qualify for European football next season. If he wants Champions League football, um, then it's going to be even harder because it's difficult to envisage uh, Everton reaching the Champions League in, um, in the next few years uh, without very substantial progress. Uh, from that team but then there's no guarantee of Champions League football at Arsenal either um, you know, it's a, it's, they haven't been there for three seasons it's a big fight um, for them to get their squad into a position where they can uh, return to that competition in terms of um, leaving London I think that is a factor I think, um, I think it's clear that his preference would be to remain in London talking to people who've worked with him um, it's very much been described to me as he is he's something of a homeboy. He's comfortable in a London environment. And, um, and I think uh, his preference would be, um, from the perspective of, of, of a place to live, to remain in London and play for Arsenal. Uh, I think Chelsea would have been of interest to him if Chelsea were able to do transfers. It clearly aren't. Um, however, um, he's a lot older than when he moved to Manchester United. Um, he's now uh, an established Premier League star. Um, he is a, a leader of the team in terms of his performances on the, on the field. So I think he's matured as an individual. Um, therefore, it's the idea that it would be impossible for him to move to the north of England and play and be comfortable seems a little bit strange. Um, I, for it to be his preference, okay, I accept it's unlikely to be his preference. But that he can't do it at all, I don't think so. And remember, when he moved to Manchester United, he was signed by Sir Alex Ferguson, um, very much in that, that scale of um, Ferguson identifying young talents he could turn into um, future key players for Manchester United. But Ferguson never had the opportunity to do that. Um, the manager changed. David Moyes came in. Um, 
he, for whatever reasons, did not mesh with Moyes. He barely um, started games for Manchester United and, and the transfer became a failure in, in the terms in which it occurred. But I think it's always difficult for a young player if he's signed by one manager and, uh, and then he finds himself playing for another manager because that, that second manager does not have the same uh, attitude towards him and the same investment in him as, uh, as the, the, the manager who signed him had. Um, therefore, I, I think it, you can probably make a little bit too much of, of his failure at Manchester United in the northwest of England last time because he was younger and because of the circumstances that surrounded it. And, you know, as people close to him will tell you, he's, he's grown up. He's not a, you know, he's not a boy anymore. Um, so I, I don't see that as a, as a factor that will prevent him from going to Everton if that is the, the final choice that's pre- presented to him. Um, and, you know, we've got a few weeks of the, of the window left. There's possibility... Um, other clubs will come in. But um, as I understand it, as things stand, if Everton are able to match Crystal Palace's asking price for the player and that becomes the only option open to Wilfred Zaha in terms of uh, you either remain at Crystal Palace, who you've asked to leave, or you move to Everton, um, as I understand it, you will choose to move to Everton. Well, from speaking to people... Close to Zaha, uh, my understanding is that, that Everton's um, offer in terms of football, not the financial offer. The financial offer is certainly an increase on his £100,000 plus a week wage at Crystal Palace, which clearly is always um, an incentive for a player to leave one club for another, but that um, they will effectively build their attack around him. And of course, he will be on a, a stage which is bigger than he currently has at Selhurst Park. Um, if he does well, um, then the possibility is that he could get another move to a top four club in a year's time, in two years' time, whatever. Um, but in the meantime, obviously, better himself financially and also um, have the security of knowing that he will be, as you said, Duncan, the star player at Goodison Park. Um, I also agree with you with regards to... Um, the fact that when he went to Manchester United, he was a boy, now he's a man. Um, he can uh, choose and he can uh, choose to live in the northwest of England uh, in order to further his career um, with Everton. So I don't see that being an issue either. Very interesting move from Everton because it would require, uh, require a hell of a lot of investment, both in the fee and in the uh, salary and contract. But I think it shows a statement of intent from um the owners there as in terms of um, what they want to do to improve the team for next season. Also interesting, Ian, if they are selling the project to Zaha as come to us, and we'll give you a platform and uh, we'd be open to allowing you to move on in a couple of years' time. Um, that's that's, a, that's an intriguing strategy Everton are using there if they're prepared to put that much money down on the table for a, a, a forward signing and uh, and present to him the opportunity that that might not be his final destination um, in the Premier League or in in football as a 26-year-old. Well, absolutely. And at 26, I mean, I'm reminded slightly, Duncan, of Theo Walcott leaving Arsenal to go to Everton. And, you know, it's been a kind of some highs, some lows type move for for Walcott. But he was a lot, he was three years older when he moved. Um, And it has been something of a success, but at the same time, 
he's had periods out of the team, both through injury and, and lack of form. Whereas Zaha, I think, is in, you know, not even the prime of his career yet. Therefore, as an investment for Everton, I think, is a, you know, a very interesting and valuable one. Uh, and one that I think that they can increase um, value in uh, should he perform the kind of levels he has at Crystal Palace and continue to do that at Goodison Park. So um, it's one of those which I think intriguing because we know the player wants to go to Arsenal. We also know that Arsenal are not able to meet the financial requirements of Crystal Palace um, in terms of the sales uh, and, the, and the purchase. So it's one that we will bring you news of, of course, on the transfer window as that develops. News today as well uh, of the, the new, well, let's call them the Shirley Bassey of the transfer window, the big spenders. For those of you who recognise that particular song of the Welsh songstress, uh, the moment you walked in the joint, I could tell you were a Ryan Sessegnon of distinction, Duncan. What's happening with the uh, Fulham player and his move across to the Naming Rights Stadium? I can tell you that Fulham are open selling Sessegnon in this window if their valuation of the player is met. He has one year left of contract at Fulham. Uh, however, they also hold a two-year option to extend that deal. He's just 19, so um, the, he could only sign a, a three-year contract um, the last time he agreed one with the club. Um, Fulham keen to get revenue in to finance their uh, return to the Premier League. They've also already made some uh, quite high-profile signings and taking uh, Ivan Cavalero from, from Wolves on loan. Um, player who's had great success uh, in the championship when he was part of Wolf's promotion season and uh, who the, uh, the, the club's um, sporting director, uh, Tony Khan, put a great deal of effort into securing um, that transfer. They've also signed um, Anthony Knockhart from Brighton, um, again a loan deal, in this case with uh, an obligation to buy um, at £10 million pounds if um, certain criteria are achieved during his time at the club. Um, Fulham have been told that, uh, that a number of clubs have talked to Sessegnon's representatives about a deal. Um, they understand that Manchester United, Tottenham, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain and Leipzig have all inquired about the possibility of taking the player, which shows the, you know, the, the level of, uh, of club that are interested uh, in uh, a guy who was identified as a, as a top English talent when he broke into the Fulham team at such a, a young age. I think he's an interesting player in that he um, doesn't really have a settled position. Um, he's played 48 games at left back uh, for Fulham, 42 in left midfield and 20 at left wing. Um, I believe Tottenham see him primarily as a left back um, to uh, replace Danny Rose, who uh, they haven't taken on tour with them and intend to sell this summer in, in much the same way as they've already sold Kieran Trippier to Atletico Madrid for a substantial fee. It's part of that uh, Daniel Levy strategy of moving on um, your mature players when you can get a transfer fee for them and, and when they're asking for uh, high wages to stay at the club and then signing um, younger talents who you think will increase in value and don't cost as much in terms of wages. And Sessegnon very much fits that profile for Tottenham in that 
um, at 19, having broken into to English football at such a young age, having that list of clubs chasing him. Um, you can see that if the move, if a move to Tottenham went well and he established himself in the first team, then his value would increase and uh, Tottenham would not only have themselves a player um, who could give them years of service at left-back, they would also have a player that they could use uh, in that strategy of cashing in on uh, when the moment suits them at a later stage, if that, if Daniel Levy decides that to become necessary. And I understand that Fulham value the player uh, at up to €30 million. Euros. So the fee's going to be substantial here. Um, and I, I expect it could take some time to resolve itself because it seems that Sessegnon's preference is to go to Tottenham. Um, it's clear that Tottenham are very interested in the player. But we've seen this kind of process before where um, Levy, Tottenham have a defined target who they want to get. They know the club um, who, who, who he plays for at the present are ready to sell um, and they negotiate until they can try and get a price that suits them. And one of the ways to do that is to let it uh, run to the end of the window uh, and try and uh, force the, the current club to, to accept um, an offer less than the one they'd prefer to get for the player. I do get the feeling in this one, Duncan, that um, Sessegnon, because of his preference to go to Tottenham Hotspur uh, and the fact that Phil know that that's Sessegnon's choice and he will make it difficult, even if a club came in for him with a better bid, uh, may well refuse to leave for that club. I kind of see this one resolving itself um, sooner rather than later in the player's transfer to Tottenham for a fee of around, I think, £20 million plus maybe five in add-ons, but even then it might just be 20 million straight. So um, interesting one, because he is certainly a talent. He's uh, played for under-21s, and uh, someone who I think would certainly uh, fit, as you said, Tottenham's uh, profile status of signing young talent and developing them into their team. Today is your questions answered, but we're not going to even stop the news there. And also... We've got something very, very special because we are joined by royalty on today's Your Questions Answered because Leo Prince has asked Duncan, Leroy Sane, update, question mark. Straight to the point, Duncan. Do we have an update on Leroy Sane? Yeah, an update. Um, what I'm hearing is that uh, there is a, a great deal of reluctance on Zane's part um, to accept the proposal that has been put to him by Bayern Munich, um, which has been on the table for a long time. We broke that story uh, for you in the, the transfer window podcast, I think before the, the, the window even opened, um, that Bayern Munich want Zani as their, uh, their, their major attacking addition this summer. Um, they have set aside 80 million euros um, of transfer budget um, for the fee and, and have been prepared to offer them substantial wages. Um, I'm told they've been working on that deal uh, for weeks in terms of trying to convince the player, uh, but he has not committed to it. And what I'm hearing is that he is reluctant uh, to go there. Now, that does not mean that he will necessarily sign a new contract at Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City have um, said that they want to retain the player. And they have been working, as they have been for a long period of time, 
on uh, proposals of a new deal um, to extend uh, Zani's contract beyond uh, the two years remaining on it. Um, Zani has rejected all of those uh, to date, made it clear um, that he expects to be put on one of the highest uh, pay levels at Manchester City because he believes his uh, talent and his uh, contributions to um, the past two uh, Premier League title winning seasons merit that. Um, and he wants to be seen uh, as being one of the top players at the club. Um, interesting comments from Pep Guardiola in the situation in the last week. Asked about Zani, he basically gave an answer that, that goes both ways, saying he he wants um, wants to keep a player of his quality in the club. He's happy to carry on working with him. He wants to keep improving him, but at the same time saying um, if the player's not happy here, then I don't want players at the club who are unhappy of being at the club. So, which tells you, I think, that the, the situation remains um, open. Um, and of course, Bayern Munich are not the only club um, that Zani could end up going to. Uh, you are talking here about one of uh, a player who has established himself as one of the best attackers in the Premier League, whose statistics are exceptionally good. Um, who was restricted in playing time last season because Guardiola kept him out of the first team on numerous occasions, choosing to quite often to play Raheem Sterling in the left wing berth rather than Zani um, for uh, reasons of uh, relationship and uh, being unhappy with Zani's behaviour around the training ground. Um, it, it would come as no surprise where um, one of the other big Champions League clubs in Europe to make an offer for Zani um, and, uh, and and take this opportunity that is there to convince the player that this is the time to leave um, and take the opportunity that Manchester City have presented, which is if you meet um, our asking price for a player who has told us he will not stay at the club, which remains um, a possibility, then we are prepared to cash in. Um, because we don't want to see him run his contract then and lose him for a lesser fee next summer or even no fee in, in two years' time. It is an interesting one with Sandy because I agree with you, he's one of, I think, the top players in, in European football at the moment and his availability has so far failed to attract interest of other clubs in a firm way other than Bayern Munich. Um, and I remember when he signed for Manchester City, relatively unknown in this country, thinking £45 million for a player of that age, untried, thinking that's a lot, that's a big stake, it's a big punt, but actually it's one which has completely paid off for City because he has been exceptional. And I have to say, you wonder why you'd want to leave in the sense that with David Silva having one more season left at City <clears throat> and also Ryan Sterling signing a new contract, he's part of something big there, Duncan, which... You see, it can only progress, and he would progress as well if he stayed. It's obviously an issue between him and the coach, which is effectively forcing his hand with regards to his decision-making processes. Okay, he's a great example of Manchester City's recruitment. Um, they, they've been exceptionally good at identifying uh, players in his age range. He's only 23 now. Um, who will improve their squad immediately? and then turn into top players. They've done it again and again and again. Um, they are probably better than anyone else in the Champions League, I think, at, at, at that kind of recruitment of, of picking players who've got 
the possibility to improve and, and to be first-team players for 10 years in principle if they keep um, renewing their contracts. And that's essentially what they do and what they've done with everyone else. You see Sterling, you see Kevin De Bruyne, you see Bernardo Silva, all of them, they come in, they play well, they achieve targets, Ederson, new contract, new contract, extend, extend, improve terms, uh, keep the player happy at the club, uh, increase their value, improve the team. Sani's the outlier because he's gone through that process and he's refusing to sign the new contract because he's not happy with his status at the club and he believes he's undervalued by the coach and undervalued by the club in the sense that they're not paying him what he wants to be paid. Um, He's the outlier in in that sense and I think a lot of it comes down to his character. If you talk to anyone um, who has worked with him, if you look at his history with the German national team, he was left out of the World Cup by by Joachim Love because of attitude and because Love felt he um, he wasn't going to be a starter for him and he would be a disruptive force as a as a, a backup player in the squad. So we'd rather not have him there and took a lot of criticism for it. But this is it's clearly an element of handling Zani as he he is difficult um, to keep on board uh, and to keep working. And in a, in a squad like City's where Guardiola has the options to leave him out and put a very high-quality replacement in, I think that problem's exacerbated. He'll make a decision in the end. Um, and who's to say that uh, leaving Manchester City would be a bad decision for him? He has the option to go to Bayern Munich and be a lead player. Whether he decides not to take that, which is what I'm um, hearing, that he's very reluctant to take that or not, that is the alternative that's being offered to him. It's not exactly a step down to go from Manchester City where um, you were one of only three players to uh, provide uh, 10 Premier League assists and 10 Premier League goals uh, last season, but had let far less playing time than, than everyone else who got to that figure and to a lot of other um, top-level attackers in the team. So to be a a second choice or a first and a half choice for Manchester City to go from that to go to being the the centrepiece of Bayern Munich's attack um, is not really a step down. So that that's one of the options available to him. As I say, it's not hard to envisage uh, a similar option presenting itself either this summer or next summer if he chooses to stay at City and not sign a, a new contract. So you've got to see it both from the club's perspective, also from the manager's perspective, and also from the player's perspective. Well, from the value of a Manchester City star player to the value of Manchester United as a club. Because uh, pleased to say that our listeners, as always, have their finger on the pulse of the news and things that are breaking. And Jack Yates, that's at Jack underscore Yates, um, has said, Forbes' list of most viable sports franchises was just released. Man United have dropped from number two globally to number six, with the overall value falling by 300 million US dollars. Is this a pie in the face, he says, Duncan, of all the, inverted commas, commercial success that Ed Woodward says he would bring to the club? Is it a pie in the face? Can we... (laughs) Can we use that metaphor in terms of uh, our friend Ed Woodward? I guess it won't have gone down well with the Glazers, that their value has dropped with on the Forbes list. 
I personally have a degree of scepticism about these kinds of lifts in that they're based on estimated values. Um, they're based on estimated values of the of the share capital, albeit in Manchester United's case, you get you've got a better measure there because they are uh, listed on um, American Stock Exchange, although albeit it's not all of the share capital that's listed. So you, you do have a, 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 a measure of what the market value of the shares would be. But the, but the analysis of what the players are, are worth is always a subjective uh, measure. Um, I think you also have to factor in here um, the joys of Brexit and the uh, decline in the value of the pound um, in recent months and certainly since last year um, and this list is uh, denominated in dollars so if sterling is going down in value that takes money off uh, Manchester United's uh, revenue value and the value of the players which are denominated in, in sterling when you assess it back onto dollars for the list so, so put those two caveats in place however what you can say is Look at what the Glazers have done with the club, uh, how the club has been run um, in recent years in particular, and ask yourself whether they've added value to Manchester United as a football club that is the heart of a sports company which is being uh, measured and valued here. Um, we've talked before about how the thing that Ed Woodward has been exceptionally good at during his time at Manchester United, which is increasing commercial revenues, um, has stopped. Uh, those commercial revenues are basically flatlined for several years now on Manchester United's reported accounts. So that value is not being added in the area that Manchester United have been great at adding value under the Glazers. Um, the football team, I don't think anyone could argue that it's increased in value, given that it's missed out on Champions League. Um, it's missed out on a top four place in England in more than half of the seasons since Ed Woodward became executive vice chairman. The squad has been mismanaged. Uh, the transfer policy has jumped from one uh, extreme to another. Sometimes they back the manager. On other occasions, they refuse to back the manager. Um, there are big question marks about a lot of the of the deals they do. Um, they tend to buy at the highest prices possible, end up buying at the highest prices possible, be very poor at selling players, um, asking too much money for players like Marcus Rojo, who they, they want £25 million at present for, when I think there are very, very few people in Bond value Marcus Rojo at £25 million for a transfer fee or after the, in particular after the season he's just had but that's just one example giving contracts to players um, who are not uh, established first team uh, starters and don't look like becoming established first team starters like Phil Jones so the, it's not hard to make a case that the, the management of the football side is such that they haven't added value to the squad in, in the kind of way that we've just been talking about Manchester City and how good they have been at spending, yes, more money than anyone's ever spent in the transfer market, over a, a billion euros committed to transfer fees in the, in the last 10 years. Um, yes, they've put more resource into it than anyone else, but they've used that resource well. 
and when they buy players, they they buy as you say at high price for someone like Lerozani. But you but the um but their valuation increases because they're buying the right players and they're developing you know in a way that succeeds. Manchester United have done that. Therefore, I guess the reflection that you see in the Forbes list of their value decreasing, at least partly, has to do with the fact that they've, they've failed in the transfer market. Um, they've failed in their uh, appointment and support of managers, and they've failed in the area that uh, the Glazers are and the Glazers central um, appointee has been really good at, which is increasing commercial revenues. They've stopped doing that. I suspect, Duncan, the prestige factor that's been lost um, in this Forbes list probably hurts the Glazers uh, more than the $300 million drop in estimated uh, valuation. Uh, they are, after all, <clears throat> there are two um, sports franchises uh, who top that list, and they're both American franchises, and therefore for Manchester United to feature in the top three, as they have done in the past couple of years, uh, was probably a, a big sort of dinner party conversation that the uh, Glazer brothers could have uh, whenever they invited their friends around. Um, so I suspect that the prestige factor is probably more hurtful than, than the, what's happening in the pocket because the drop in market capitalisation isn't serious or even dramatic. Uh, as you said, <clears throat> it will rise and fall in circumstances like non-champs qualification, um, the value of the pound, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Although, of course, they are listed in the New York Stock Exchange in part. So, um, yeah, I think Glazers, uh, the Glazers will not, they'll not be putting Edward under pressure as such because I think he's very much still a trusted employee and ally with regards to the way he runs the club. But I do think that little things like this will will maybe niggle them with regards to how the club the direction of the club is going uh, and going in and therefore um, Woodward might need to just you know take a little look over his shoulder now and again to make sure that um, he's at least seen to be doing the right thing in terms of Woodward I find it hilarious that the club are making a big deal um, and briefing the media that he will not be joining the club's pre-season tour um, in order to concentrate on transfer business I'd like to know what Edward would be doing on their pre-season tour. Would he be doing the double sessions with the players to get himself fit and trim for the new season? Or exactly what is um, more important than Manchester United's transfer business for Edward Woodward in a pivotal transfer window for the Old Trafford Club regarding their recruitment and indeed their sales? Um, with news, of course, that Romelu Lukaku's uh, moved into Milan may well be on the verge of collapse because Inter are not prepared to up their initial offer of 60 million euros for the player and uh, they end up could be they have a player who's both unhappy and unwanted uh, by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, for next season so yes I understand that he may go on the pre-season tour to meet and greet sponsors but apart from that um, I don't really see his use to the club when he should be uh, back uh, orchestrating whatever deals that they're going to do um, whether it be from the UK or anywhere anywhere else um, so Duncan I mean uh, as I said, the, the, the use or, or indeed the effectiveness of, he's effectively chief executive uh, being on that tour. I mean, do you see any point in that apart from the, the, the sponsorship thing? Well, look, just a couple of points on the Forbes thing. One, if you're looking to sell the club and, you know, the noises around Manchester United is where the right price to be offered to the Glazers, then they would take their profit from selling the club out. We're talking very substantial prices here. 
then it's probably nice to be able to say we are valued by Forbes as the most um, valuable sports franchise in the world. It's a, a nice little selling point to have. But more uh, pertinently here is if you're talking about valuations of club, one thing's for sure, if you continually take money out of the club, that the club has generated itself from its own um, success on the field or for, from its own uh, commercial marketing success, if you repeatedly take money out of the club, um, then the valuation of that club will fall because you're taking capital from the club rather than reinvesting it in the club to make the football club stronger and more successful. And we know that the Glazers have done that. Um, they, you know, the, the, the buying of the club involved paddling the club with debt, which has been paid from the club's revenues. Glazers take um, money in terms of dividends and the director's fees each year from the club. They take money from the sale. They've taken money from the sale of shares in the club. None of that money has gone back into the club. So, in, in terms of what the what the potential valuation of Manchester United could have been, it could have been far far higher. And that's something that uh, has been identified by the Glazers Out campaign. And I think will will be identified further as we get closer to the season. And and I think there is pressure. You can see why Woodward is um, emphasising the importance of transfers because there is serious external pressure on the club from the supporters to do more in this transfer market to solve the problems um, that have been left by decisions not to invest in players in, in, in previous windows. And um, interesting that the argument is that Ed Woodward hasn't gone on the tour because he needs to focus on transfers because the story that was being sold by Manchester United to the fans around the period when they sacked the last manager was they needed to bring a specialist in to deal with transfers. Um, and that would improve that their, their transfer market activity would be by hiring a director of football to control these matters rather than leaving them in the hands of the executive vice chairman whose track record in this area is obviously very poor. Well, from one um, Manchester United story to another, and that, of course, is the future of Paul Pogba. Now, Pogba has been the subject of lots of speculation. We've told you, we kept you up to date with the um, information regarding a possible transfer out of Manchester United this summer. Um, and Drimble Carrilla uh, has asked an interesting question, Duncan, um, because obviously, as all our listeners will know, if you type the two words Gareth Bale into your search engine right now, then you'll probably uh, break the internet with regards to um, what the responses and uh, listings that you get. And Drimble has asked, is Real Madrid pushing Bale out to gather money to buy Pogba, or is it just the cold relationship between him and Zidane? I think it's both. I think... Um Zidane has made a decision. He doesn't want Gareth Bale in the squad from a footballing perspective. Um, he's had issues with him before. Uh, he doesn't like his attitude. Um, does not like um, that he's not available to play um, as often as you would like a player with that amount of salary uh, and status in a club to be available to play. So they've made a sporting decision to sacrifice Bale. But also, it's a, it's a financial decision in that he is one of the highest paid players in football. Um, they're 
directing salary towards one of the highest paid play, uh, players in football who doesn't play as much as they'd like him to do. So pragmatically, you say get him off the books uh, and spend that money elsewhere. And obviously, Zidane wants Paul Pogba. Um, we told you months ago that, um, that Zidane had prioritised the purchase of Pogba after um, getting Eden Hazard deals in place. Uh, and has been pushing Florentino Perez to complete that. And that won't be a cheap deal to complete. If it if it proves possible to complete, it's going to be a big transfer fee to Manchester United and very substantial wages. So they do need the money uh, to do that. Um, I think it's interesting to look at some of the noises coming out of Bale's camp. Um, the reports that he would be interested in China um, only um, if an offer came to him uh, that was that would make him the highest paid player in the world. So uh, this is a briefing that um, one of the TV stations in, in the UK has uh, reported that it would take something huge and very special, um, an offer that would come close to making him the highest paid player in the world. So I think that shows you the importance of cash um, in Bale's decision, albeit you understand that players will only um, generally will only choose to go to China if they're if they're, they're uh, receiving a pay rise to go there. Um, that emphasis on making him close to or the highest paid player in the world is is fascinating. Something that also um, I, I came across this week um, in terms of Gareth Bale and his his past history with managers at Real Madrid, which I found fascinating, was Carlo Ancelotti um, talking about what happened during his time at Real Madrid. Um, and Ancelotti was the coach for the first two seasons um, in which Bale was at Madrid after that world record 100 million euro transfer. And Ancelotti describing how he was called into a meeting after training by Florentino Perez, uh, extremely unusually as as Ancelotti describes it, um, to discuss what Florentino Perez said was the, the bail situation. And, it, and according to Ancelotti's account, um, Gareth Bale's agent had gone to Florentino Perez to complain about Bale's use in the team and asked that instead of being played on the wings, he wanted to play more centrally and asked that that be uh, uh, put in effect. And Florentino Perez then took Ancelotti into a meeting and explained that to him and asked that he should be played centrally and that the player wanted to be played centrally. And, and according to Ancelotti's account, his response to, to Perez was to say, I'm not going to do that. We don't make any changes. We don't change the team uh, during the course of a season in which we've been succeeding. This was in March 2015. Um, he then went to Bale and asked him why Bale hadn't come to him direct with that complaint, why he'd gone through his agent, and explained to him that he wasn't going to change the team, uh, the setup during the season, because it was too complex to do that and would cause problems for other players. But he'd have a, a look at it in pre-season and work and see if they could adapt and adjust for the, the season coming up. That pre-season never happened because Ancelotti was sacked by Florentino Perez. Um, it was also reported... Uh, around that time uh, by the Spanish media that the first time in which Ancelotti substituted Gareth Bale in a game, a home Real Madrid game, 
uh, Florentino Perez had told the uh, Madrid press that an attack on Gareth Bale was an attack on him. So I think that, that shows you the kind of status that Bale had at Madrid when he came to the club, the kind of support he had from Florentino Perez, the impact he had on his managers. Um, and it shows you how much things have changed for Bale in that he's gone from that position of, of being a special case, of, uh, of having the, the president fighting his battles with the coach in order to get his, his position changed in the team, to a player who Madrid are happy to sacrifice and actively trying to get out of their club. Um, and it, I think it tells you a bit about the issues with having Gareth Bale as a player, um, that, just that story from Carlo Ancelotti. Very true, Duncan. And I do have personal experience of that kind of thing as well because my agent once went to uh, Pep Guardiola a few years ago at Barcelona to tell him that uh, I wasn't happy and I wanted to replace Leo Messi um, in the number 10 role. And uh, apparently uh, it was refused that request as well. So uh, I can see where um, Gareth Bale's coming from and Florentino for that matter. So from one entitled uh, chap to another, um, it is... Wednesday, it is your questions answered, but it's also the infamous donkey award for this week. And to Mark, and I say Mark not celebrate, Boris Johnson's appointment as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, we are going to award today's donkey in that honour or dishonour, however you want to look at it. So today's award will be the Boris Johnson Award for the appointment made by an entitled elite against the will of the people. We like to make it simple for you people. Well, we try to. And we certainly like to make it complicated for Donkey himself because he's a man who has to make the decision. So I'm just going to... It's not a golden envelope today, Duncan. It's it's a golden envelope with a silver spoon attached. Uh, And the nominations for the Boris Johnson Award for a decision made by... an appointment made by the entitled elite uh, against the people are, first of all, Mike Ashley, owner of Newcastle United, and his appointment of Steve Bruce, of course, a former Sunderland manager. And of course, hashtag Bruce Out was trending almost within hours of that appointment. Possibly my personal favourite is the appointment of Rafa Benitez at Chelsea as interim coach um, in 2012-2013, made by either Roman Abramovich or Marina Grafskaya. We will give them joint credit for that. But of course, Rafa Benitez being the almost universally hated coach of Liverpool uh, by Chelsea fans um, and, of course, the ghost goal of the 2005 Champions League semi-final, etc. And uh, the third one, slightly more historic, but I think no less significant, was the appointment of the great Harry Redknapp, former Portsmouth manager to Southampton by then-chairman owner Rupert Lowe. Quite tough one this week, Duncan. Um, I'm... Definitely going to leave it to you to make your mind up, but uh, please do tell us who it is and give us your reasons. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to rule out Rafa Benitez, um, much as it much as it fits many criteria. But um, Rafa Benitez was actually a, a competent enough manager to uh, win a European title to succeed in Europe um, after his appointment against the will of the people. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Boris Johnson is neither competent or or capable of succeeding in Europe. So um, that one doesn't work. Um, Southampton appointing Harry Redknapp was quite special. Um, yeah, it definitely fits 
fits the uh, the criteria there and a close 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 candidate. But I think Mike Ashley, who who's achieved this this uh, feat on on repeated occasions, has to win here. Um, and yeah, Steve Bruce uh, not popular. Uh, Mike Ashley still being there to make the appointment even less popular. Um, he is definitely uh, the Boris Johnson of the Premier League at present. To be fair, I think if you merged Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce and then dyed their hair blonde, you'd probably get something near Boris Johnson as well. So we should take that into account. In fact, we may well put a blonde wig on Donkey's award this week when we send it to Mike Ashley up there in the northeast. Um, we hope that you appreciate our uh, political satire, but we know you definitely appreciate the football chat. Please give something back if you. Uh, takes your fancy go on to iTunes give us a five star rating helps us enlarge the community as you know as regular listeners to continue this debate please get in touch at transfer podcast is the handle on Twitter uh, or individually at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ for the two of us individually we love to hear from you you know we engage and we often uh, obviously try to um, answer questions that you guys give to us even outside of Wednesday's Your Questions Answered. We will be back, of course, on Friday uh, to give you more news and updates and <clears throat> all of the subjects we've talked about today and, of course, the ones that developed between then and now. Until then, we'll see you through the transfer window. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.